0: You are now listening to the hottest true crime podcast in the street. Hello and welcome to another episode of Affirmative Murder, the Equal Opportunity True Crime Comedy Podcast. I am Alvin Williams, and once again, I am not joined by my partner in True Crime, Francelle Evans. But, folks, I want to let you know that I've spoken to Fran, I've seen Fran, I've embraced Fran. He is in good spirits and he will return soon. He just needed a little bit more time. But as I said last week, the show must go on. I am stubborn in that way. I kind of refuse to take a break because. It can lead to a slippery slope. I don't want to start bad habits this late in the game. So I'm going to put something out. And this week is no different. So back in October of last year, I did a series of podcasts on cults that I was fascinated by exclusively for our patrons. And I decided to release one of these episodes from behind the paywall. So once again, folks, thank you for all the kind words you sent to my brother. Um, he'll be back soon. What he chooses to divulge to you folks is his business, and I appreciate that you guys respect that, but the kind words were, have been amazing and are beautiful, and I sent screenshots to him of it, and he appreciates it, and I'm sure he'll tell you all that stuff when he returns, but for your enjoyment and possible complete and utter shock, I present to you the story of the Sarah Lawrence College co-ed cult scandal. David Jeremiah once said a girl's father is the first man in her life and probably the most influential. Talia Ray was anything but hesitant to tell anyone who would listen about her biggest influence, her dad, Larry. According to Talia, her dad was something like a freedom fighter, a revolutionary who stood up against the abuse of her mother and a corrupt government and was as a result incarcerated by a group of powerful and vindictive men. Talia was a freshman at Sarah Lawrence College in New York, one of the most expensive colleges in the country. A little older than a typical freshman, she naturally assumed the role of leader in her friend group. So in late September of 2010, at the beginning of sophomore year, when Talia told her roommates that her father was getting out of prison and needed a place to crash for a while, they were mostly unfazed. They had all heard the stories about her father, the truth teller, who was silenced by the man. But within days of his release, There he was in the flesh, on campus. He made himself at home in the common area, cooking steak dinners and ordering expensive takeout for Talia and her seven housemates to enjoy. While they ate, Larry would regale them with stories of his long and decorated history as a government agent, his days as a CIA operative, insights into top secret international missions, all made more entertaining through a nasally Brooklyn accent. He loved nothing more than preaching the values of the Marine Corps, and dropping references to his relationships with high-ranking American military officers. The stories clearly required some imagination from the housemates, because Larry by this point was in his late 50s, average height, and overweight. So he wasn't exactly serving secret agent man vibes, but he could be very intimidating. His meathead bravado was out of place on the liberal arts campus. Do you work out? Larry would ask Talia's friends. Can you defend yourself? You look really weak. He could also be charming. He was a good listener and engaged the group on heady concepts like truth and justice. He also further ingratiated himself into the fold of the housemate's inner circle by doing all of the cleaning, becoming somewhat of a house dad. He screened Carl Sagan's Cosmos in the common room where the students would watch from pillows on the floor and followed it with impromptu lectures on the nature of the universe. At night, he'd retire to an air mattress in Talia's room or on the common room couch. Sarah Lawrence is an almost comically sheltered school. The college's head of security once sent out safety alerts because a small fox had been seen on the campus. Talia's housemates were in some ways typical Sarah Lawrence students. An artistic, bookish group of introverts with good grades. They were also sensitive and in ways common to just about every 19-year-old. Insecure unsure, and searching for guidance. There was Daniel Levin, who had begun exploring his sexuality. Claudia and Santos had both struggled with depression. Another roommate, Isabella, went through a bad breakup soon after Larry arrived. Fortunately for them, the house dad had arrived and was willing to dole out his own unique brand of life advice. Larry claimed he could help them. He said he knew techniques to discipline the mind, training he had received from the government, he began counseling a few of the roommates, including Isabella, his daughter Talia's best friend. Isabella had come to Sarah Lawrence on a full academic scholarship from an all-girls Catholic school in San Antonio. After her breakup, she seemed to take comfort in Larry's company. According to her, Larry helped her process and make sense of a lot of things that she just couldn't make sense of. Talia's boyfriend at the time remember seeing Larry and Isabella reclining on Talia's bed. Larry, who once again was in his late 50s, was stroking 19-year-old Isabella's hair, soothing her. Larry said he was going to start sleeping in Isabella's room, an arrangement that made the boyfriend uncomfortable. You're acting like I'm going to be sleeping with her, Larry responded, but I'm going to be sleeping on the floor. She needs someone to help her. These were young, fragile kids and Larry was a wolf in dad's clothing. That December in 2010, the night before Isabella was to return home for winter break, Larry called her family. According to Isabella's aunt, Larry told her mother that Isabella had been sexually abused as a child by a family friend and that if Isabella was to come home for her break, she could possibly commit suicide. Isabella's mother was aghast. She'd always been very close with her daughter and had never heard her say anything about an assault. You let this happen to her, Larry told Isabella's mom. Isabella spent her winter break with Larry, Talia, and Talia's boyfriend in a one-bedroom condo on East 93rd Street owned by an old friend of Larry's. Talia and her boyfriend slept in the living room while Isabella and Larry shared the bedroom. According to Talia's boyfriend at the time, he controlled every aspect of their lives once they were in that apartment. When they ate, what they did, when they went to bed. Larry told Talia's boyfriend to stop taking a prescribed antipsychotic medication. He was so disturbed by Larry's behavior that he broke up with Talia as soon as winter break ended. When the spring semester started back up, Larry also returned to Sarah Lawrence, spending most of his nights in Isabella's room. His house meetings and family dinners continued, and to some, started to feel mandatory. One night, Larry gathered everyone in the common room and began lecturing them on Q4P, a philosophy based on the supposition that all energy in the universe is powered by the quest for potential. Q4P was the brainchild of Larry's friend, David Birnbaum, a diamond dealer who moonlights as a philosopher. Picture Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems being who you turn to for insight on the mysteries of the universe. One particular housemate, Claudia, was especially intrigued by the presentation and began having weekly counseling sessions with Larry. Claudia had grown up on the outskirts of Los Angeles. In high school, she was part of a group of friends who spent weekends writing poetry, taking pictures, and talking about boys. Sometimes Claudia stretched the truth for effect, but in innocent ways. Her friends called her out for claiming to like bands she had never listened to. But honestly, who hasn't been there? Confession time. When I was in high school, every music publication that I respected was raving about Arcade Fire. They had two thumbs up, 10 stars, everything. They were the band to be on the lookout for. So whenever I got in conversations about music I was listening to, I would always add Arcade Fire to the list. To this day, I cannot name you a single Arcade Fire song. I don't know what their music sounds like. I don't know a single member of the band, but it sounded good. And that's who you are at that age. You just want to sound good. You want your resume to read well, does cool shit, listens to cool music, wears funky clothes. You just want approval from your peers. Another time, she pretended to faint in Spanish class. According to her friends, Claudia just wanted to make herself more exciting. She had initially been unnerved by Larry, particularly by his relationship with Talia. But Claudia seemed to change after she started meeting privately with Larry. That's when a noticeable shift happened. Before, Claudia had been funny and self-aware. But now she seemed artificially chipper. She kept posting about the Marines on Facebook and more concerning to her friends. Claudia began telling people she thought she might be a schizophrenic, a diagnosis that Larry, who had no official medical or psychological training, had given her during one of their sessions. Claudia clearly had some complex issues. She was facing adversity beyond the stress of college. What she needed was the help of a clinical psychologist or a licensed therapist. What she got was Larry who claimed to have some superhuman level of empathy or ability to talk to young people and help them work through their issues. Near the end of the school year, fellow housemate Daniel found himself drifting. His relationship with his girlfriend was crumbling and he had nowhere to live during the summer break. Santos and Claudia urged him to speak with Larry. The two met in a Starbucks one afternoon and talked for hours. Larry gave him advice that felt refreshingly straightforward. Dump your girlfriend. On the question of Daniel's sexuality, Larry shut down the suggestion conclusively. Oh, no, you're not gay. I can tell you that for sure. Daniel was directionless. And all of a sudden, this real man came into his life. Daniel's words, not mine. It was this incredible feeling of such intense validation of being seen and heard. Finally, Larry offered to help Daniel, quote, achieve clarity after their conversation, Larry walked Daniel outside and into a limousine idling up the block, where his roommates were waiting. They all went to the apartment on East 93rd Street. We'll get into how Larry was able to cruise around in the limousine in just a little bit. When they arrived at the one-bedroom condo, Larry suggested Daniel live there for the summer with him and some of the other Sarah Lawrence kids. He agreed. He didn't want to go back home. And this was the only apparent alternative. Daniel says part of why he got into a cult in the first place was because he had no idea how to find a place to live in New York. Every morning that summer in the apartment on 93rd Street started the same way. Larry would blast The Who's Baba O'Reilly. The message was clear. Larry planned to personally guide the young adults, Daniel, Talia, Claudia, Isabella, and Santos, through the hellscape of teenage angst. Living in the apartment wasn't all that different from living in a college dorm. There were family meals, movie nights, and a camaraderie that fostered intense discussions that could drag on all night. Daniel worked at a vegan ice cream shop in the East Village that summer. Larry seemed to have several streams of income. He was a life consultant for a wealthy friend and was building a domain name business he had enlisted the kids' help with. He could be extravagantly generous. Sometimes he bought his young roommates expensive clothing or shoes and he would occasionally take the group out for dinners at upscale steakhouses, always paying for it with a wad of cash he kept in a backpack that he carried with him at all times. He had a limo driver on call to take them home. No matter the hour, Larry's core program of personal transformation happened on nights they stayed in. After a late dinner... Everyone would gather in the living room for a marathon discussion in which the group interrogated one person about anything and everything. Usually the person being questioned had landed in the hot seat because he or she did something that Larry didn't like. Trivial mistakes, such as scratching a pan or breaking a plate, were considered intentional manifestations of childhood trauma. The group session's purpose, Larry explained, was to reveal deep personal truths. Imagine the fear instilled in an environment where loading the dishwasher improperly could lead to a public castigation. The meetings would often end in breakthroughs that followed a disturbing dream logic. On one occasion, Larry convinced Daniel that the reason he played the ukulele was because of trauma inflicted on him by his father. Larry told Daniel to smash the instrument in front of the group as an act of catharsis. When he did, the group applauded Daniel for achieving closure. My suspicion is that Larry just hated ukulele music and came up with an elaborate way of putting an end to it, which in and of itself is several red flag emojis because who could hear Israel Kamakavevole sing somewhere over the rainbow and hate it? Daniel felt immense pressure to find explanations for his actions. Once, after spending hours in the hot seat with no end in sight, Daniel told a story that finally got Larry's attention. He said when he was a kid, he found a baby bird in his driveway and it was injured. Daniel held it in his hand and crushed it. He claimed this was a traumatic thing that formed him. The story was entirely made up, but it ended the session. Daniel would wake up the next morning following these late night therapy sessions to Baba O'Reilly and go to his job exhausted. Larry himself never seemed to get tired. He preached the benefits of prescription amphetamines and according to multiple acquaintances, took them at such high doses that he rarely needed sleep. Larry goaded his young roommates to live healthier lifestyles. Claudia was particularly motivated to adopt Larry's eating and exercise regimen. According to her mother, she became fixated on losing weight and was increasingly unhappy with how she looked. From the first time they'd heard of Larry, Claudia's parents were suspicious of him. When they realized he was living in the campus house, they met with Alan Green, Sarah Lawrence's Dean of Student Life. Green told them he'd received other complaints about Larry But his hands were tied. A father had a right to visit his daughter on campus. A second meeting ended similarly. Sarah Lawrence said it had no record that Larry lived on campus at any time, which I guess is technically true. Claudia's parents had moved to the Upper East Side after she started at Sarah Lawrence. That summer, they were living just a few blocks from the 93rd Street apartment. They saw their daughter about once a week when she came home to get a change of clothes or drop something off. Claudia had become very critical of her parents. She would be disparaging about how they were running their household, saying things like, you can't even get dinner on the table on time. She'd be saying things that sounded like they came out of Larry's mouth, according to her mother. On 93rd Street, small mistakes weren't just symbols of childhood trauma. They were evidence that the kids were trying to sabotage Larry's program of self-improvement. Subversive behavior was explored in painstaking detail, and required written, signed confessions. Larry was gaslighting these kids, forcing them to confess that everyday mistakes were actually subconscious attacks against his program. Daniel remembers delivering handwritten letters to Larry, listing items he had damaged as a part of an intentional effort to harm Larry's family. Daniel now believes the confessions served to cement Larry's psychological conditioning. If a cult leader can control not just your reality, but your own thoughts, you are likely fully indoctrinated. Over the years, Larry would collect hundreds of pages of such confessions from the students. Many of them used almost identical language. Things became more difficult for Daniel when Larry took a deeper interest in his sexual education. One night, Isabella came out of the bedroom and began kissing Daniel on the couch. At first, he thought Isabella was acting on a crush. But a few weeks later, Larry ushered the two of them into the bedroom instructing Daniel and Isabella to have sex while he watched. These sessions became regular, and Larry would sometimes participate. He made it seem as if his presence was part of Daniel and Isabella's journey to clarity. At the end of the summer, Claudia and Daniel left to study abroad in England. Before leaving, Claudia sent a long email to the Sarah Lawrence dean with the subject line, The Truth. She wrote that when Larry first moved into their campus house, She had expressed fears and concerns about Larry being a bad, dangerous, manipulative, and sexually deviant man. But after spending the summer with Larry, Claudia took it all back and claimed that Larry's ex-wife had tricked her into making her initial statements. Not even the distance of the Atlantic Ocean was enough to keep Larry from Daniel and Claudia. On one occasion, the two met up so Larry could Skype in for a family meeting. He proceeded to coach them through sex via Skype. And when their time abroad was over, Larry welcomed them back for the summer. Once school started again, Daniel continued to live in the apartment, commuting for class. Claudia got on-campus housing, but still visited the apartment and stayed close with Larry. The already small space started to shrink even more as Larry began doing his own renovations. He removed the door handles to the bathrooms, which meant that no one was afforded any privacy. According to Daniel, It was so firmly established that anything Larry did was for a good reason that he doesn't remember anyone questioning anything. One weekend night, Claudia showed up at her parents' apartment with Larry and began asking her about her mother's first child, a girl who had died at birth. Larry said it must have been difficult for her to love Claudia, having just gotten over the loss. She says Larry then proceeded to dig into her until she just exploded crying. He was trying to break them down. Claudia was on his team, and her parents were on another team. She said to her mother, I don't believe you, Mom. I don't believe you could have loved me because of her. Then Claudia left with Larry, and that's when they knew he had total control over her. Daniel experienced the worst of Larry's attentions his senior year, after Talia missed the application deadline for Stanford Law School. Larry accused Daniel of intentionally sabotaging his daughter by distracting her. In a confession session that night, Daniel denied having anything to do with the missed deadline. Unhappy with Daniel's denial, Larry crushed pieces of aluminum foil into balls and rolled them up inside a string of saran wrap, fashioning what Daniel described as a necklace of metal lumps. Larry called it a garrote. In front of the group, Larry ordered Daniel to wrap the contraption around his testicles and penis. Then Larry began twisting it. The metal cut off the circulation to his genitals and dug into his flesh. This wasn't the first time Larry had shown flashes of violence. He would regularly abuse Santos, often putting the 20-year-old in a sleeper hold so tight that he would pass out. Did the darkness envelop you? He would ask Santos once he woke up. Once, after Daniel had supposedly damaged the oven, Larry asked him to kneel and then stood over him with a knife and threatened to dismember him on one of daniel's final visits to the apartment he told larry he was still feeling unsure about his sexuality enough of this go get one of your dresses larry told isabella in front of the assembled kids larry told daniel to put the dress on and go retrieve the mail from the building's lobby when he returned larry handed daniel a dildo and ordered him to penetrate himself Daniel followed Larry's command as his friends laughed at him. Larry had always told Daniel that everything that happened in the apartment was for his own good. But after that experience, Daniel finally found the courage to leave. In 2013, the spring semester of his senior year, he acquired on campus housing. He stopped responding to phone calls or emails from anyone living in the 93rd Street apartment. But the scary thing about charisma is that it's infectious. There's always somebody new to be drawn in by the allure of charisma, like a moth to a flame, or a white girl to a Michaels. In the fall of 2011, while Daniel and Claudia were abroad, Santos had introduced Larry to his older sisters, Yalitza and Felicia. Santos's parents had emigrated from the Dominican Republic to the Bronx in the early 1980s. They operated a small travel agency and a grocery store in Washington Heights, and had saved enough money to buy a home in the Bronx. They had given their kids top-tier educations. Yalitza was an undergrad at Columbia University when she first started visiting the apartment on 93rd Street. Felicia, the eldest of the three, was a Harvard graduate and had a medical degree from Columbia. She had started her residency in Los Angeles when Larry began calling her regularly. It wasn't long before Larry had convinced Felicia that people were after her. Felicia abandoned her residency program and moved in with Larry. They quickly began a romantic relationship, often talking about marriage and having children together. Larry has referred to both Felicia and Isabella as his wife. Larry had a long history of manipulating women, and not doing what Larry wanted had consequences. According to one person, when a girlfriend tried to leave their relationship, Larry sent graphic pictures of her to her parents. When a different girlfriend broke up with him, Larry purchased a GPS tracking device and, according to a police report, tried to get someone to attach it to her car. At least two associates of Larry's described witnessing situations in which they felt some of the women Larry lived with were being offered up for sexual purposes. Larry also constructed scenarios that required his roommates to pay him. His most classic tactic was to claim that people had either stolen things from him or ruin things of value and therefore owed him money. In one situation involving some building supplies and an oven range, Santos turned to his parents, threatening suicide if they did not give him the money that he needed to repay Larry. His father tried to visit the apartment to see the damage his son had supposedly done. But when he arrived, Larry appeared in the lobby and blocked him from going up to the apartment. Out of fear of their son's safety, Santos' parents gave him as much as they could. Toward the end of senior year, Larry brought Claudia, Isabella, Yalitza, and Felicia to his stepfather's house in Pinehurst, North Carolina. There, he put them to work, installing a new drainage system in the yard. When they returned, Claudia, Yalitza, and Isabella began asking their friends and family for money, saying they had damaged Larry's property. The property that Larry dragged them to, to exploit free labor from them, he then turned around and charged them for damages on. Santos's parents estimate that they gave Larry more than $200,000 over three years. They were forced to sell the home that they had worked so tirelessly for to cover the costs. They went to the NYPD three times with their story, but police told them that there wasn't much that could be done if their children were over 18. Claudia's parents also alerted the police and were told the same thing. In 2017, the police conducted a wellness check on Claudia and determined that she was acting of her own free will. From her parents' perspective, nothing could be further from the truth. One night in 2013, Yelitsa's parents got a call from a doctor at Mount Sinai Hospital. Yelitsa had attempted suicide by swallowing a bottle of Tylenol and was in a coma. When she awoke, she was transferred to a hospital in White Plains, New Jersey, where her parents visited her every day. One day, security wouldn't let them into their daughter's room. And if they wanted to meet with Yalitza's doctor, they needed to do it with Larry present. When Claudia's parents rushed to Mount Sinai in 2014, after their daughter swallowed a bottle of Tylenol as well, they found a similar scene. Claudia would talk to Larry, but not to them. According to her mother, the nurse replied, this is not the first time we've seen him. Based on accounts from family and friends, Only Santos had tried to take his own life before meeting Larry. Larry would later go on to estimate that between Isabella, Yelitsa, and Claudia, their cumulative number of suicide attempts were somewhere around 12 or more. Daniel, Talia, and Isabella graduated in the spring of 2013. Santos never graduated. Claudia graduated a semester late, in the winter of 2013. Larry attended her commencement ceremony. According to Claudia's mother, Green, the dean of student life, approached her and Claudia's father and said, well, I'm glad I won't be seeing him anymore. Imagine the dean of student life who did nothing to protect the life of your child coming up to you and making a little quip like that. Amazing. That night, Claudia's parents arranged the celebratory dinner. They left because they didn't feel welcomed at their own daughter's college graduation dinner. That they arranged. Claudia's parents separated in 2013. In large part because of the stress Larry had injected into their relationship and their family. Her mother eventually moved out of the city and Claudia started living in hotels. In 2014, Claudia began working as an escort under a pseudonym that was a combination of Larry's daughter's names. Her website advertised services for $8,000 a night. She would give her profits to Larry in order to pay for damages that she believed she'd done to his home in North Carolina. Isabella, Felicia, and Larry continued to live in the apartment on 93rd Street. Santos and Yalitza came and went regularly. In 2014, Larry's friend and landlord evicted him because he was increasingly disturbed by Larry's treatment of the young adults living in the apartment. Add on top of that the damages from Larry's little DIY renovation projects, Larry responded by countersuing his friend listing Felicia, Isabella, and Talia as co-plaintiffs. The trial was insane, with tales depicting everything from conspiracies involving Rudy Giuliani to million-dollar assassination attempts on Larry through poison coffee. Larry's ex-friend eventually won the case, though it would take almost another year to get Larry out of the apartment. By 2015, Larry was on a mission to prove there was a powerful conspiracy against him. He sent a letter to then-U.S. attorney Preet Bahara, outlining the conspiracy against him and met with a special agent at the EPA to try to persuade him to investigate the poisonings he believed were happening. He created a website documenting Claudia's purported confessions. One tab on the website linked to a video in which Claudia sits on a duvet-covered bed in dark green Sarah Lawrence Griffin sweatpants, looking dazed, participating in some sort of taped confession. Look, Claudia, take your hands away from your face. Federal authorities say Lawrence Ray forced this student to stay awake for days, destroying her will to resist. At the same time, you were trying to convince me that you were a good person and regretted ever doing this and that you would never do it again. Yeah. I came, I came up and saw you four times, I brought poison each time, each time. What What'd you bring? I brought mercury, cyanide and arsenic. I brought a vial of each, each time. And you poisoned me? You said? Yes. And where'd you put it? I put it in your food. I put it on your back. I put it in your shoes. I put it on your handles where you would touch on the bed. I put it in the bathroom where you would touch first. Larry firmly believed that he, Felicia, Isabella, and Talia had been poisoned and were still being poisoned. But when he's pushed for specifics... His reasoning turned circular. Why would his former friends have it in for him? Because they're in a conspiracy. What conspiracy? You tell me. The psychological profile conducted during his 2005 custody proceeding had observed that Larry's power and control are exhibited through the process of wearing down the other person to the point of sheer exhaustion, where one must acknowledge that he has no control of the situation, but Mr. Ray has the control. Through all of the pain, anguish, and destruction of families Larry has caused, he believes he's done nothing wrong, that he's helped guide the young people he took under his wing. Although Larry claims to have lost touch with Santos and Yalitza, as have their parents, who haven't spoken to their children since 2013. According to one source, Santos, once on track to graduate from one of the most expensive colleges in the country, spent time in Bellevue Hospital's psychiatric center, and lived in a homeless shelter as recently as 2016. All in big part thanks to some of that good old-fashioned Larry guidance. At one point, one of Isabella's aunts traveled to New York in hopes of bringing Isabella home. At dinner, Larry spoke for Isabella, who looked to the aunt unfocused. Larry said that she was sick and he was medicating her. She told her aunt that she didn't need to ask these questions and that she was fine. They had planned to meet up again the next day, but Larry called and canceled. Daniel moved to New York after graduation. One night, he stumbled on a website that bullet-pointed the characteristics of a cult. He realized each one tracked Larry's tactics. Larry had brought them into a money-making venture. He had alienated them from their family and friends. And he had put them in the hot seat. He tried talking to a psychologist. But Larry's behavior had so closely mimicked therapy that the process felt impossible for Daniel. Even the act of making friends felt unsafe. When he went to parties, he worried he wouldn't be allowed to leave. He eventually found a group for cult escapees and slowly opened up to his roommates and girlfriend about his experience. Their horrified reactions helped him gain perspective. Eventually, he shared the full extent of what happened with his parents. Larry also went on to lose touch with Claudia, and for good reason. After reconnecting with a former employer who hadn't spoken to her since she'd asked him for $500,000 to pay back Larry for damaging his property, when they met up, Claudia told him that Larry had strapped her to a chair and put a plastic bag over her head until she almost passed out. She feared Larry might kill her. Her former employer bought her a ticket out of the city that night She turned off her phone and left without packing her stuff. Soon after, she sought and received care. Two weeks after Claudia left New York, Larry was still trying to find her. You said you would never run and hide. And I have no understanding as to why you are doing so now, he wrote in an email. In my experience, the truth has always been important to you. And proper regard for the truth has always helped you. You asked me to promise never to abandon you, and I have not. It wasn't until 2020 that charges have been able to be made against Larry Ray. He is currently on trial. Some of his charges include sex trafficking, extortion, and forced labor. In a Manhattan federal court hearing, Judge Louis Lehman ordered Ray's trial on a 16-count indictment that included charges of racketeering, sex trafficking, and money laundering to proceed in February of 2022. Isabella, full name Isabella Pollock, will face a separate trial for her alleged role in Larry's web of deceit and destruction. He faces life in prison if he's convicted on all charges. The story of Larry Ray is particularly fascinating to me because most cult stories start with people who are not just lost mentally, but physically, leading them to stumble into the web of a charismatic but poisonous spider. But Larry came to them. He lulled them into a false sense of security while infiltrating every aspect of their somewhat stable lives. Inviting new energy into your life is a terrifying proposition. Because people never show you the worst parts of themselves until it's too late. Until you're invested. Until you're beyond the point of simply being able to walk away. Until you're stuck. Before I end this episode, I want to share with you a model for identifying a potential cult situation or just a dangerous relationship in general. It was developed by Stephen Hassan. It's called the Bite Model. B is for behavior control, dictating where and whom you live with, attempting to modify your behavior with rewards and punishments, or regulating how much you eat or drink. I is for information control, deliberately withholding and distorting information, gaslighting, forbidding you to speak with people not approved by them, using information gained in confession sessions against you, having confession sessions. T is for thought control. Instilling a good versus bad, us versus them mentality in you. Using loaded language and simple phrases to stop complex thought and keep you sheltered and ignorant. And E is for emotional control. Promoting feelings of guilt, shame, and unworthiness. Instilling a fear of questioning or leaving the situation and love bombing you. With so much care and attention that you feel like this is the only place you'll ever feel this loved. These are just a few signs to look for in today's world where you don't even have to leave the comfort of your home to find yourself trapped in a cult. Your cult can be with you 24-7. In your pocket, on your tablet, in your headphones. Cult potential is everywhere. So remain firmly on your P's and Q's. But more importantly, on your B-I-T-E. Wow, 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 wow. That Larry Ray is an exceptional piece of shit. Really one of the most fascinating cult stories I've ever read. And the reason I chose to pull this one from behind the paywall specifically is because the trial has started within this last week. So we're getting testimony from people who were in the cult, such as Santos Rosario, which I believe was mentioned a few times in my story, talking about Larry holding a knife to his genitals. Just the whole thing is pretty mind-blowing what the gift of gab can elicit from people who might be in a rough place in life. When you meet that charismatic person that seems like they have all the answers and you're lost in life or look you're looking for some answers for about anything it really is amazing what these people are able to do that's probably the most fascinating part about cults to me is is how they how they spin their web and who gets trapped in the web and Larry Ray managed to manipulate his daughter's college experience into a really dark And deceitful web and did a lot of damage to people mentally that I don't know can be easily undone but I encourage people to stay abreast with the Larry Ray trial there's going to be a lot of fascinating testimonies and information coming out and I'm interested to see what his sentencing will be and uh yeah this has been another episode of Affirmative Murder I've been Alvin Williams and we'll see you guys next time